Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 358. Out now in select theatres across the US is Whitetail, a southern gothic thriller in which a broken family consisting of a father, a son, and an uncle embark on a hunting trip only to stumble across a dying man grasping onto a bag full of cash. What follows is an intense and violent thriller set in Texas, in which temptation, manhood, and the nature of evil takes center stage. And joining me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is a writer and director of Whitetail, Derek Presley. Derek, I thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So as per per usual in uh, my watching movies and interviewing directors, I like to do a bit of a deep dive into their filmography. Interesting thing about your work, prior to Whitetail in your shorts and the feature that you've done so far, a lot of it is based kind of like in sci-fi or fantastical kind of elements. When I watch Whitetail, this is very much a story that's much more grounded. Is that something that's intentional in your part? Did you want to make a film different to the things that you did beforehand? Or is it just kind of like an organic nature of you being a creative person that you just like to delve into different stories and different environments? Oh, um, that's a good question. Yes, it's a little bit of both, um, I think. And the reason is that when I was growing up uh, as a teenager and I got into my early 20s, I kind of discovered the filmmakers that had a little more surreal take on things. Um, Terry Gilliam and mm. uh, Jean-Pierre Genet and, and I discovered Federico Fellini. And, and, um, and I really, I became quite obsessed with them and became a fan and it kind of, in a way, I wasn't letting, wasn't letting myself be 
uh, as you put it, you know, to have organically, you know, it was, uh, I was forcing myself. I really wanted to do those types of films. Yep. And, uh, and I did love them and I still do. I still very much love them. Uh, but it was something where I was, it was definitely premeditated as far as like, okay, I'm going to write this script. It's going to be like this. It's a sci-fi film, it's a fantasy film. Um, my short films as well. And pretty anything I'd take on, you know, music videos too, I would actually add, shoot those in weird ways or, and I would do the commercials if I could, that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and then when I got a little older, you know, um, then it did actually kind of happen organically where I was just a little bit tired and, and, uh, hadn't had, uh, the success that I think I wanted with those type of movies. And I also just felt like they were lacking with the, the, the act, you know, with the actors and, and just kind of being grounded in, in reality. So I kind of went back to my past and that's where White Tail came from was being a little bit more true to who I am living in Texas and using the environments. Um, and so I wrote a story around that. That's really how we got there. <laughs> so the initial premise of Whitetail is based upon this hunting trip. You just said yourself you went back into the past. Was hunting something that you partook when you were uh, younger? Did you do it as well with as with family members as a sort of kind of like a a rite of passage, as a, a form of bonding with other members of your family? Is that something you did when you were younger? And is that something that really kind of you saw as a really good way to kind of set this thriller in upon that world and upon this kind of very cultural thing that's uh, very uh, to someone who lives in Texas? Yes. Yes. The short answer is, is yes, I did go hunting, uh, but I have not been hunting since I was a young man. And the people I went hunting with, for the most part, all of them have passed away. Um, these are people from my past family members. So it was, it was a time that's kind of, it's like I've had two lives. And so I don't remember, you know, I would think I was um, probably 11 was the last time I went hunting and I'm 38 of uh, 39. Sorry. Uh, and, um, so it it's something that I was looking at from a lot of pictures and and, thing, and memories when I was younger, and then just kind of the I could I could I retain like the smell I could I could smell all of that stuff from from where we hunted at, which was where we were originally going to shoot at in mm. Coleman, Texas. It's this tiny little town in Texas, and we had a few hundred acres out there. We had a little camper, and it was just like that one. It was real dirty, real had a the orange stripe that looked just like the one we found jason starn found that camper did a great job or austin williams and the house was very similar too you know so um we basically yeah i mean it, it was something that i did and i did it with my biological father i did it with my brother and my uncles and all these people and it and it was definitely a rite of passage then but i i went away from that i'm a total city boy you wouldn't mm. think if you could see me, you wouldn't think that, but I am. I'm a total city guy. And um, I thought it would be great to explore my past with that. And um, even down to the way that in the movie, even down to the way in the movie when they um, they actually take off their vests, that was things that my father, my father would want us to have the vests. Men yeah. do. And I always thought that was very silly of him. But um, though, so I took all of those things, you know, and then I just added, obviously, the other element to it, which was the, the whole you know, story of the bank robbers to that. Interesting thing about this this family, the father, the uncle, the son, it's kind of like almost looking at a spectrum of manhood. They all kind of represent different types of kind of like masculinity or sensitivity, et cetera. Mm -hmm. These archetypes that you 
dealing with? Are they representative of the people that in your family that you were hunting with? Did you use inspiration from them to kind of form the characters that we see on screen? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, the there there are two characters in, in the movie that are actually uh, the same person in my real life that had split uh, personality disorder. And so the person would be either extremely fun, but he's very dangerous, uh, or he could be just really disconnected and kind of mean. <laughs> and so it was basically a, that, and they became kind of in a weird way, the protagonist and the antagonist, you know? Uh, so, which I think is kind of a mirrored real life. That's kind of what happened anyways. So that, that was that. And um, the uncle was definitely um, somebody based on, based on somebody that I know. Um, and Donnie is kind of a representation of a few different people that, uh, that I knew from my past. So put together. <laughs> Interesting watching it is that the character of Donnie played by Dash Milrose is autistic. And that's really interesting to me because my son's autistic. So whenever I see, you know, representation of that on screen, I, I kind of like perk up a little bit and watch it. And I really appreciate it. And I really respect what you've done with that character in your film. I think you really hit the ball out of the park in, rega- in regards to portrayal of, of someone with on the spectrum in that way. Um, having a character with autism, did you, saying going back to the question beforehand, is that something that's representative of people that you knew in your life as well? And did you want to make sure that, you know, there's been lots of talk, which I'm not really a fan of. I'm not a big fan of people when they say the only people who can play people on a spectrum are people on a spectrum. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think a character is a character and you just have to respect where the character comes from and that's okay with me. When it comes to representing that a character with autism in the film, is that also inspired by someone, people that you knew in your real life, and did you make sure that because of that, the representative representation on the screen of that was as accurate as you could portray? Because like I said, it was the things that you you touched on on that, especially in regards to not being able to look, able, able to look people in the eyes, is just my son's the same kind of way, you know? Um, I really appreciated that. Oh, well, well I, I thank you uh, for, for seeing that. And, and um, that is definitely two, actually three people, that um, one was a friend of mine whose um, son oh actually no i'm so sorry it's his nephew yeah it was his nephew it was a friend of mine and his nephew uh was would would not look at anybody in the face and he was on the spectrum um highly intelligent um, yes highly intelligent you know and just but you just got and then i didn't know it at the time you know and then we talked about it and i have two nephews that are uh autistic now they are uh, I, I wouldn't, I want to, I don't know how to say it the right way, but they're more on the spectrum, I guess. So, you know, yeah, this is like different levels. So like my son would be like lower end, but pe- some people could be higher end. That's where to really kind of, there's a withdrawal from kind of like, you know, I know some people who have autism that don't talk at all. Like there's not, you have to call it nonverbal um, autism. So it's like, it's a very, there's very degrees of it. Yeah. Okay. So they're, so, okay. That makes, yeah. So they would be more on that. And, um, they they were definitely in my mind as well doing that kind of thinking of where uh you know how would they handle that situation um you know and then of course just the fact that it's uh you know to be completely honest it was kind of they're they're you know innocence i don't want to give it away but i mean you know it's the innocent one is is kind of my my point of that is that innocence prevails (laughs) so sometimes you know yes um it's interesting the spectrum as well is also in the, the villains villains as well and there's a line that um that the character of tom man um has in, in the movie which is in the trailer as well talking about snakes um 
And in many ways, the snakes in the movie are representative of, of, the, of the villains in the film. They stumble upon vipers of a different sort while out there. And what's interesting about these villains is, although they're really despicable, they're really evil, there's shades of grey to them as well. There's no, they're not really stuck in the way that you represent them. They are no way sympathetic at all, but there is a semblance of humanity within them as well. How important was that to kind of bring that across in your in these very much evil characters, but evil characters that have humanity in there? There's touches of things in there that we can kind of pinpoint and we can in, in maybe in certain ways kind of find some empathy with as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that would to me, if it didn't come off that way, um, then it was a failure, the whole movie. Um, because you only have six people in the movie you have, and, uh, you know, and it is a, it's a pretty long movie for that. Um, and the, to have one person that is just the quintessential antagonist, who's the, the bad guy, quote unquote, would be, I think really not, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't serve the film at all in any way. Every character uh, needed to have some sort of, uh, yeah, human trait that you can kind of try to connect with. I think maybe maybe Billy Blair's character Jesse is the the least the one that's like the ultimate least you know yes one you can connect with. But certainly with Jason Douglas who played Davy and his um, you know that was very important for me that we had and we cut a lot of stuff out to be honest. We had a whole scene that justified his um, you know his goal of the money a little bit more, but also to leave it open because we didn't want people to die immediately. I didn't want to hit it on the head. It kind of let you think, you know, well, maybe the guy's lying. And of course we, mm. we did some things to do that. And Jason Coviello with Ricky is really kind of the one that um, I think it was not only most important, but it was definitely the most obvious where he's, his goal, he doesn't care about the money. He doesn't care about anything. He wants to find his brother and that's all what he wants to find. And he just happens to be a psychopath. Yes. <laughs> so, so when he gets to the money, you know, I always say, had he made, had he made it back, we, you know, he probably would have left the money with his dead brother and he would have just got in the car and drove off to the next, mm. you know, bar. Um, it was very important for that, uh, all of those things to, to happen. And and I think that uh, the actors, you know, in my opinion, they, they did fantastic with those three. They just made you really uh, think about it. And and Jesse, Billy Blair, so likable, you know, that you're, he's the kind, I always said he's the kind of guy that you meet at a bar or a, or a restaurant and you have a few drinks with him or, or whatever and you go man this guy's really nice you know? and then you get to know him a little too much and you get oh man i, I gotta get away from this guy. <laughs> he's he's really not the good guy you know i think you know he's like that and um yeah i think that uh that's I, we wrote uh to, to help that uh it's funny because i wrote um i wrote bi bios I wrote, um, some short stories for uh the characters okay I changed the prose up and I changed one of them was present tense and it was a short story, like 10 pages long, real fun. That was for Jesse's character until the bank robbery they did. And it was just for fun and to get him, you know, to get for Billy, to get Billy Blair into it more. I did a, a obituary style for, <laughs> for Tom Mann, where it was like he had died. Tom Mann, you know, it's kind of just to fill in their gaps because we don't talk about a lot of it in the movie. Mm. Jason was the one actor who said, I don't want to really see that. I want to do my own thing. And I said, great. And it was, you know, he did Jason Douglas. That is, I'm sorry. Oh, there's two Jasons. Jason Douglas is the big dude played Davey. Yes. And he said he didn't want to see it, but Coviello and I worked together very closely for months before we shot this on his character. And he added so many great things, so many personal things. It's that when he, when it came time to doing the movie, he, you, for me, at least I was like, I really like him, even though he's a really bad guy. And he's like, yeah. But I really like him because he's added all these personal things. Yes. Really good. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 
80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. So um, Jason, as Ricky, has a really interesting monologue in the film in regards to his upbringing. And I think something that's really touched on in your movie is nature versus nurture. Is that a prevalent thing that you really had in your movie? And is that something you really wanted to, you know, base a lot of these kind of things that's going on about? Because we're talking about essentially in the film, two different families clashing together at the same time. And I think the whole things about their upbringing, upbringing, who they are as, as men, what they were as children growing up. Those are really kind of distinct themes in your film. Yes, yes, uh, especially with uh, Kobe Yellow in that in that moment there, as well as, yeah, it goes back to Tom talking about uh, the snakes and everything. Um, you know, I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm a bit of a pessimist. I'm not going to uh, lie. <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, you know, trying to be, um, trying to be as optimistic as, as one can, you know, it, it, it kind of goes back to earlier where I said, kids are really strong i have a, a an eight-year-old kid and he is just uh, yeah i wouldn't be worried about him you know in a situation i mean obviously i would but i just i know children tend to bounce when you drop them yes and they're a lot more durable than than we give them uh, credit for i think that as adults we forget you know yeah. what, we, uh, what we could deal with and um that was really one of the things where it was showing both sides you have tom zimbrod who plays tom man and did a fantastic job and he's he, he plays the cold disconnected father uh and, and the kid has already lost his mother and then you have the flip side that you have two great parents that are brought up these two hooligans these two these two guys who are now you know thieves and murderers and and it just yeah you know it's not really for me anyways it's you don't always turn out great because your parents were great and you don't hmm. always turn out so horrible because your father was a jerk or bad yeah Sometimes you turn out pretty good you know yeah and that was really where it started from, was uh, just saying that, honestly, nobody knows everything. That's kind of what I was saying with that. So you can't really, uh, you can't really say that somebody's going to grow up to be a, um, you know, a frail person because their father or mother, you know, were meek or anything. And you can't say the opposite. You can't say because they grew up with, you know, fantastic human beings as parents that they're going to turn out great. Look at Ted Bundy. Supposedly yes. He had great parents and he's serial killer. So. I mean, everyone 
at the end of the day, goes on their own journey, their own experiences form them. So yeah. that's just how it is. Yeah. Um, what looking at your cast, we went, we talked about Tom Zembrod as Tom Mann, Ted Ferguson as Daryl Winks. It's interesting. A lot of the people in your movie you've worked with before several times. I mean, Ted Ferguson. I think bar one project of yours, he's pretty much been in everything that you've you've put on film. Are you developing a trope of actors now? Do you feel like you have a cast of actors that you can rely on for your films? Have you are you putting together a, a kind of like a, a Derek Presley kind of trope of, of acting actors that? Uh, that you can rely on, that you can call upon to play the characters in your film? Is that where you feel like you're going with having Ted and Tom and other people? Billy Blair, for example, is in your later projects as well. Um, do you find that having all of them together, you're creating kind of like a, a community um, that you can rely on and that you perhaps even write characters for um, when you're writing new, new scripts? Uh, yes. I mean, for sure. You know, these guys are, <clears throat> these guys I've been with for a long time. Uh, so a lot of them, but for like Tom Zimbrod and uh, Ted Ferguson, I've worked with for uh, years ago, you know, my first short film projects, both of them. And they're kind of like, I think they were in the same, maybe not Ted as much because Ted does more varieties things, but Tom Zimbrod is really good at sinister, dark, creepy characters. He's good mm. at wacky, zany characters he plays in these uh, really cool you know, horror films. The, the, the cult, cult movies you know people love and uh, I did all the fight fantasy sci-fi things and I think we were all in the same boat where I basically you know, Tom was one of the first people I called up and I said I'm doing this script it's not like the stuff we kind of worked on together in the past and I'm thinking of you as the dad but I don't want you to go over the top and crazy and, and I don't you know it's not a horror film it's something kind of different and and he read it and you know enjoyed it and everything but I think he was a little uh, nervous because he was doing something he hadn't done before or right. if he had it hadn't the movie movies he's done some other stuff since then it's been really good i was real impressed with that was low-key um you know kind of films and explored him a little bit more uh just that you know his character as opposed to you know bright shiny things like i had made with him or set design or something um and i feel i feel like yeah i feel like we've got a good group of people here but that you know if we have a film that works you know if we have a script that works for them yeah and i have i have absolutely written um the next film that we shot was a film called redstone which is coming out in november and i wrote a film i wrote a role just for billy blair and i have another role for jason douglas in that one um and yeah you know I, I love those guys they're they're great they did something very different um and i've worked with them before and i think it was just kind of we were all it was very fun you know and um yeah it, it was really good stuff so I, I hope to keep working with all of them in different varieties you know different uh different films different projects and we've got something cooking right now uh we're shooting pretty soon with billy blair and the lead okay so, yeah it's interesting to see what uh what lead character is going to play he's so effective um i think his look is just so distinctive as well um when he first yeah. enters the screen um actually i was watching the film and my, my wife came into the room as i watched it and when billy blair uh billy first He's introduced my wife. My wife just said, "Oh, he doesn't look very good, does he?" <laughs> because he's all bloodied up and stuff. And I was like, "Yeah, that's 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 who he is." And I've, I can't wait to see what he's going to do with uh, a lead role. It's going to be very interesting. Um, this film, Whitetail, shot in twelve days back in two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. It's re- released now in uh, select theaters, and, and we're looking at home entertainment release later down the line. What's interesting about this movie, Whitetail, is, is that it's going to be 
the first of a few films that's going to come out through your own uh, studio, essentially, uh, Muscular Puppy Films. And following from that, you got already got films in the can, and I think you're wrapping up another movie now in Redstone and Dune as well. Um, your idea to put together Muscular Puppy along, I think it's your uh, a couple of your producers and your cinematographer as well. Um, where did that kind of come about um, to kind of put your own shingle together that you can create your own movies? Um, and also filming, this was pre-COVID, and but the other films were during COVID, we filmed as well. How much of that kind of, did that kind of create um, problems in, in regards to making films together? Or did having that happen, did that kind of like give you the chance in your partners to kind of step back and look at what you were doing and give the time for this kind of idea to flourish and come up with ideas that now that everything's slowly kind of getting back to normal, you can finally unleash all this stuff you've been working on over the last uh, few years and, and put it out there to the world. Um, yeah, the, the first part of that about Muscular Puppy was we ended up, uh, I'd, I'd written that script and I took it to Garrett Schwent first. He was the cinematographer on it. And I'd seen his reel and I knew him from other people and we I worked with him briefly. And I just basically said, you know, look, I'm, I only need 30 grand to make it 20, maybe. We were gonna do it very low budget and handheld and and uh, just go in the sticks and as they say, and just shoot this, you know, shoot this movie <clears throat> and fly on the wall type stuff. And I went to him and he introduced me to Alex Blackman essentially. And Alex Blackman and him had produced some films before. And Alex just said, he read the script. I was going to him for a small portion of the money. And he said, I'll just give you more than that and give, get it up to what we really think we need. And he'll fully finance it. Um, and we brought in a couple other people. Um, and that was in the February of 2019. And what happened was, was that we had, it kind of fell into life. Then from there, I got Austin Williams with Tom Zimbrod. They had worked together. Austin Williams is a, is, is a filmmaker here in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth and has done a lot of great things. And Austin and I hit it off. And we had like we had nine months, you know, until the winter here in Texas. And you don't hunt deer except in the winter. And the whole film would have the change in the color scheme, everything that Garrett and I had worked on would have changed. So we said mm -hmm. we got to wait until winter. We're gonna film in November. And then a very big key to the puzzle uh, came in in the form of uh, Jason Starn. And Jason Starn and I met sometime in July. He'd where he'd color corrected a, a feature that I'd done did in the past. And I met up with him and I said, hey, I want to get going on this and I, I want to make sure I get all my post team in, in first. And he said, yeah, I really kind of want to take a stab at producing. And I was like, you want to produce? And he said, yeah. And he, and he, and he said, I've got this kid actor named Dash Melrose. I think he's really good. And I had spent two months casting already and I already picked it down to two, uh, two kids. And I said kindly, I said, thank you, but no thank you. I'd love for you to come on board and help us produce, but I don't want to look at anybody else. I've got my mind made up. Mm -hmm. He twisted my arm and I saw Dash in him and I, I mean, it was it. I didn't even, that's the truth. Like during the middle of his reading, I was like, yeah, okay, okay, that's it. That's the guy. He's awesome. And uh, while we were filming, I think we all just enjoyed it so much and we enjoyed working together and we really thought we had something kind of, you know, nice. We, we were obviously going for film festivals. You know, this is a film festival type of movie and this is pre-COVID. We didn't know what was about to happen. Nobody did. Yes, no one did know. No. <laughs> We didn't know we we're on the verge of this, you know, sci-fi film we're all living in now. Uh, and I think it was Garrett Schwinn who said, well, we should just start our own company. We got everything made. Garrett has quite a bit of equipment. 
Jason is a post-production genius. The man, that's what the man does. He, he right now, as I, if I'm doing this interview, he's back in Los Angeles working for Disney, doing setting up their servers and their post-production stuff for the for their films. He does virtual editing. Works with a company called Cinesis, and he is can do anything. And and then of course, you know, you got Alex and myself coming bringing up the rest of it. And let's let's form it. So we we did, and then almost immediately. Um, well, I said we sent the first cut of White Tail to Alex. He loved it. He said, "Let's do another one, but let's up the budget." And we went to some other investors and got some money together. And we were in pre-pro for Redstone in February of 2020. And it was to be our second film for Musco Puppy. And then all of a sudden, the news report reports started coming in. We already had production offices in Fort Worth. We were going to shoot in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And we had production offices. And then the news reports started filing in. And then we went into lockdown. And going back to what you'd said about where we get the time, we actually we didn't have time to like think about things. We actually didn't. We, we, we went into like overdrive. And so during the course of lockdown, I pretty much lived in the office as did the other guys. And we were Zoom meetings. We were talking to SAG. We were talking to actors. We were talking to the crew, all Zooms. We were getting everything ready to go because we, we wanted to shoot in the summer, right when the lockdown lifted. And we were miraculously we were able to, and, and I'm pretty sure maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm incorrect on this, but I feel like we were the first state SAG. Or the, I'm sorry, the first uh, film SAG greenlit because we were shooting like three days after the lockdown. Well, I, I've read I read that as well in a, in a couple of different publications. So I think you might be correcting that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was crazy, and then uh, yeah, and we just we did we we started shooting. Um, we didn't have any COVID cases. We we moved the production to a very small town. Um, called Corsicana that had eight cases um, in the, well, Fort Worth, I think had 20 something thousand at the time. Mm. Uh, and so we moved, we did all that stuff. And then we started collaborating with Neil McDonough, who was an actor and he was in Redstone and that kind of snowballed into Boone. He wanted to do another kind of version, another thing. And so we shot Boone and, and uh, just this last January. And so we have these three films, you know, these three films, um, and I think that because of COVID, we we missed the, we missed some festivals with Whitetail. So we're we're trying to get it out there and just make you know let people as many people see it as they can. And Redstone is signed with Cynodyne, or I don't know who it is. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. I don't really care. So, <laughs> but uh, the, it's it's with somebody. It's uh there. It's gonna be coming out in November. And boom, right now is um we've we're wrapped up. It has a bow on it, and we're um we're days away from signing with another distributor for Boone, and that'll be coming out next year. So. Well, this is very exciting days for you, I think, because you've got Whitetail out now, Redstone end of the year, Boone, I imagine, will be early next year. I mean, three of your films they've worked on in the last few years, all coming out in succession, one after the other, really putting Muscular Puppy out there as a kind of like a, a, a studio that a lot of people, especially I imagine in Texas, will be looking at as kind of like a, a forebearer of how to do filmmaking post-COVID. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Redstone and Boone because Neil McDonough is one of my favorite actors. I love anything that he's in, I watch. I mean, and I and I like and I like reading his interviews. He's the kind of guy, like you know him, of course, much more personally, having worked with such, but went from what I've read of him, he's the kind of guy that sounds like a really man's man. He's got really good kind of like foundations to him as well. And I really like that about him as well. And I can't wait to see what he does um with your in your movies. And before everyone gets to see that, I would suggest everyone. When you get the chance, check out Whitetail. So it's right now in select theaters in the States. You can actually go to Whitetail Film on Instagram. And that's a really cool Instagram page because the show is kind of like showings and 
on all sorts of stuff there as well. And Derek, I imagine we're looking at kind of like home entertainment DVD style releases later in the year as well in regards to Vitale. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, it'll be actually, we do have our distributor. It'll be distributed um, DVD, Blu-ray, streaming on demand, all that in October. So awesome. we're trying to show it some, uh, show it some here before them. And um, we could do a whole other show, to be honest with you, on the on the COVID question uh, about shooting during COVID because it was crazy. Two films and that was that was nuts. So <laughs> I, I imagine we'll be. I've, I've talked to a, a few different um, uh, indie filmmakers about that experience of shooting, like in COVID. And it's uh, yeah, very stressful, very kind of t- times, and, and just really, just really thinking on the on the, on your on your feet. I imagine just doing that type of filmmaking in that type of environment. So, and I think you know, I can't wait to see what Boone and Red State Redstone looks like because. Whitetail, I really dug this film. I really did. And I just want to say congratulations to you with the movie. And I hope, I can't wait for everyone to see it. So people in the US, make sure to check out the Instagram page that is Whitetail Film to make sure you see what showings there are. Um, the rest uh, the rest of us around the world, we can't wait to see it in October when it comes out, DVD and Blu-ray and everything else as well, digital, I imagine. And because it is a film to be watched and I think, uh, Derek, I, I really think you're going to put your your name out there as a, like a, a filmmaker to watch too. And I, I really can't wait. Hopefully in the future you and I could talk again about Redstone and Boone as well and, and everything else because it's been a pleasure to talk to you and it's been a pleasure watching your film too. It was really, I really, I really dug it. I really did. And I, I can't wait for people to watch it. So congrats to you and um, congrats, best of luck with your release for, of all your films. I appreciate that, Matt, man. Thank you very much. It means a lot. I'm uh hope uh, hope everybody is uh safe and everything in Australia. I think that's where well, you're from. Well, yes, yeah, in Sydney. We're currently in the third or fourth week in lockdown here in, in Sydney. So um, which is kind of crazy. So yeah, homeschooling right now as well, on top of everything else. So, you know, yeah. I got two boys, I got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, so I got homeschooling for both of them. So but um, hopefully by the end, middle August, everything should slowly be coming in. Vaccinations are slowly rolling out. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how we go. And I hope everyone down in uh, where you are as well in Texas is doing well as well. And um, hopefully things down there are getting better as well. And from from all indications, things are getting better than where they were last year. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's getting there. It's still scary. But we just everybody needs to stay safe. And I think we're going to be okay. So. Awesome. Well, Derek, again, thank you very much for your time. Everyone check out Whitetail. Um, like I said, go to Whitetail, Whitetail Film on Instagram. Check out all the posts there and also everything in regards to showings and screening times. And, um, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be all the info there in regards to the entertainment release. Derek Presley, thank you very much for your time and congratulations for the movie. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.